0: I'm Danielle, and we are the founders of Sakara Life, on a mission to nourish your body and
1: transform your life. Sakara is a Sanskrit word that describes the action of turning your thoughts into things and manifesting your reality. We believe that who we surround
0: ourselves with, what we watch, what we listen to, what we eat, the information that we
1: take in impacts the way we think and therefore who we are. The conversations that follow are with bold thinkers who have had an impact on how we view the world, ourselves, and what it means to live the Sakara life. The intention of these conversations is to push each of us to greater heights so that we can turn our thoughts into things and all shine our light a little brighter. We are so
0: excited to be on this journey with you. Welcome to the Sakara Life.
1: Today's guest is the super successful, talented, and beautiful Jessica Alba. We have admired Jessica for years. She is the founder of an amazingly successful business, The Honest Company, an award-winning actress, and a mama of three. When Jessica first ordered Saqqara a few years ago, we were so excited to see her name on our client list. She has really set the example for what you can accomplish when you are a truly driven, hardworking person. And so we are so excited to have her on the podcast today. This conversation was recorded in LA between Danielle and Jessica. It's such a good one. I know you're going to enjoy listening to it just as much as I did.
0: Jessica, I'm so grateful to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. I remember we met in person, maybe it was a couple of years ago when you had just given birth to your third Mm -hmm. and I was pregnant and... We sat down and, and talked about a bunch of ideas we had on how we could collaborate, given that both of our brands are are mission-based, but I was just so taken aback by your honesty, your candidness about motherhood and the journey, your candidness and authenticity around what it meant for you to build a company from like this authentic place in you,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and you were just so moving that we felt like, as we think about launching this podcast out into the world, we wanted you to be one of the first kind of stories that we share. So thank you for being here. Yeah, cool. So we'd like to start off with, on the first question to talk about mission. You know, Whitney and I are on a mission to help people understand the power of food as medicine and, and what it means to be in the driver's seat of their own health. And so what do you feel like is your personal mission? Maybe later we'll get into like Honest Company specifically, but what do you feel like is your personal mission here on earth? You know, I think, it's funny, I was looking up,
2: different flowers and meanings recently and different trees and meanings and stones and their meanings and I'm over the years since I was little I've always been attracted to elements things in the world around me that signify honesty and I think that it's no now looking back at you know, now sitting eight years after I launched this company and my daughter's name, my firstborn's name is Honor, and I think that that, that word has always resonated with me, just to live in an honest way, not perfect, but really it, there's something very grounding about honesty and uh, the truth of it, Um yeah, and just the authenticity around it, and I think that's just something that's always been in me since I was little.
0: Yeah, it was one of my first takeaways from you after after meeting you. So you're you're living your mission. <laughs>
1: yeah, um, and I almost
2: can't help it. And and I remember it, it's sort of like a, a blessing and a curse because it's sort of the thing that people either like about me, but it's also the thing that frustrates people with me mm. um, because I guess. I'm learning how to deliver the message of honesty in the moment maybe differently to different people depending on kind of who they are and how they process. Mm. And um, even though I'm pretty intuitive and I, and I can feel people's energy, I'm not always thinking of them. I'm usually just thinking of the goal and, and just to- getting to that. Right. And I don't always think of the I don't always put people's feelings in their way that they process first, and yeah, I think that that's what that's where I'm at now is just trying to deliver with that in mind with yeah, that consciousness
0: yeah, and did you grow up in a home that was super honest and had radical candor? You know, or like where that, do you think you learned that?
2: I think it was a reaction to growing up in a family that was about the shiny exterior mm. and never wanting to talk about anything that felt hard or difficult or uncomfortable. And I, and that was so frustrating to me because I felt like it actually creates more pain if you constantly bottle. First, just allowing it to live and exist and be expressed... Because, you know, my parents, they've had different, and my grandparents who have raised me, they all have, like, different ideas about spiritualism and and religion. And so that sort of hung over our heads always. Um, And I think, you know, it was like um, the facade of this perfect, religious, yeah. Jesus-like, God-like. The right way to live. The right way to live in yeah. this very judgmental mm. way that you, we needed to operate and and move through the world. I don't know. I just never signed up. I, just, I was never down yeah. for that. And I just always felt like it was so oppressive. And I fought it, gosh, since I could first speak, I think. And do
0: you think you've talked— I've heard you speak on a couple other podcasts about, uh, dealing with health issues as a kid. Do you think that part of those health issues manifested out of 100%, yeah. that, that desire to be honest, but not living in an environment that was conducive to that?
2: Yeah. I mean, asthma and not being able to breathe is, uh, what I've read is really closely linked to people, especially children feeling stifled, mm. um, and then, and then, and then, I, as I moved into my teen years, I would get um, super hyper focused on things, like almost obsessively focused on certain things, because it felt like it was the only thing that I could control. Mm. Right? Because my body was out of control, my home environment wasn't in my control, the way that my family accepted. Or, or told me how we needed to operate and move in the world, I couldn't control. And so I just felt, so I would hyper, I would get very controlling over like my food or the way that I was very particular about every single little detail. And I became this, I guess they would call it, if they diagnosed it, um, kind of like an obsessive compulsive type behavior about things. But I think it was just my way to try and control something mm-hmm. because everything just felt out of my control.
0: And did you know from a young age that you wanted to be in Hollywood or did you want to be an entrepreneur? I read somewhere that you you wanted to be a superhero. Yeah. And now, you know, you are on the big screen. Yeah,
2: I, I did. go. You know, I think there's two types of people that like to – that, that want to be in, in Hollywood, especially in front of the camera. There's the people who are like, you know, look at me. I'm fabulous and amazing. And, and then there's the people who are like me, why I did it, which was I just wanted to be somebody else. And, and it was so liberating, actually, to have another name and to have a made-up, you know, backstory and life that um, I got to create and to step into someone else's shoes was where I felt the most, I guess, free. And so that's why I, I got into it. And then also the, just the straight-up financial independence side of it allowed me to not feel so beholden to my family's ideas around who I had to be and how I had to operate in the world
0: offered you that autonomy. Mm -hmm. And do you believe in the kind of the power of visualization or manifestation? Like if you were dreaming of being a superhero as a kid, and now you are, um, (laughs) you know, how do you believe that those dreams as a child played into your reality now? Like, is that part of kind of your spiritual beliefs?
2: I think you can. I think you have to, Believe it before it happens, whatever that is. And I think you can manifest. I do think, though, that you are given the lessons in life that you need to get. And sometimes what you are striving for and trying to manifest isn't always what your heart or your soul needs. And sometimes it's just the process of reaching for a goal is where you should be, but it's never about getting the thing. thing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: The journey is what's healing.
2: Yeah. Or, and that's just what you need for me. I think it was twofold. One is, is I couldn't, I was, I, I felt like I couldn't breathe and having that financial independence allowed me then to start looking inside and working on myself. Um, But without the the independence, I didn't even have the space, right? So for me, I did have the goal. I got to achieve it. And then that's when my inner work started, where I think some people it's about the journey and that's where their inner work starts. Right. It's just different for everyone.
0: And so you started in Hollywood at what age? At a young age, 11
2: right? is wow. when I that's when I went to acting classes and I got my audition for agents and then 12 is when I got my first job. Wow. And
0: so you grow up kind of being center stage in a lot of ways and when did you decide that you wanted to not pivot, but also have this other side of you that is an entrepreneur? Like where was kind of honest company born on that trajectory? Because it's, I feel like it's much more common now to see celebrities and businesses. Um, but you were really one of the first. And I think and, and at least from my perspective, and I'm sure yeah. a lot of consumers as well, You, it wasn't a celebrity putting a name on something. This came from a core need and desire of yours. And so that authenticity really rings. So what was that journey? Well,
2: yeah, I mean, I think the difference is most people, when you see their brands and whatnot, it's more of a licensing agreement where yeah. I was actually, um, I, I built a business from the ground up in a space where i wasn't relying on other people necessarily to build the i mean i it was like the business model was very different yeah the process in in having an idea and a concept to actually making something and making something that you need to make a lot of and it goes in people's homes yeah. <laughs> Um, And relying on third parties to bring it to life and that whole supply chain, operations, that stuff is really daunting.
0: So daunting. Yeah. And Um, so what year did you start, Honest, or did you start thinking about it?
2: I started thinking about it when I was pregnant with Honor. Okay. Um, I had a, a reaction to a detergent that my mother Recommended that I use for my baby clothes because um, I had a, a baby shower and and I had and when I had an allergic reaction to this, it just like threw me back to being a kid and being sick and being in hospitals. Like I feel, I think I was admitted in the hospital like two or three times a year for pneumonia. Wow! Because all my colds immediately turned to pneumonia, and I remember my mom like they would put me on this bed at like a tilt. And the, the nurse and my mom would pound on my back, and I would, like, cough up this green wow. phlegm, and I just remember how painful it was and annoying, and, you know, I'd gag, and it was like that was what I did for a week and a half to two weeks, three times a year. Wow. And it was just, like, really frustrating and isolating, and, the, you know— I guess you know, you sort of are like, Why me? And you know, I remember all like all those things that I sort of forgot about came flooding back and I was like, oh, I don't want my I don't want my daughter to go through that and how can I prevent that? So I did everything I could to make sure that she wouldn't have allergic reactions to yeah. things yeah. if I could avoid them. And, and to have that safe environment. And to have a safe environment yeah. so she wouldn't have an, a compromised immune system or have... So I learned about chemicals and the link that certain chemicals have to illnesses, um, the testing and, and the oversight that the government has in this country versus in other countries. And when I learned that, like, At the time, it was like 1,100 chemicals were deemed unsafe for human health in um, personal care products, which is basically like anything you put on your skin and beauty products in Europe. And then in our country, it was like 10 of them were banned. Um, so crazy. And so they just don't even have the same process in vetting chemicals before they're put into products into the marketplace and, and it's not like a global shared oversight, you know? Yeah. And so I was like, wait a minute, So we know that this chemical isn't safe, but we're putting it in our products, uh, in our cleaning products, in personal care products and baby care
1: products. Baby care, yeah, because yeah. that's personal
2: care. Yeah, Every, anything that goes on your skin, anything that is uh, that you can clean with, all of that stuff. It's been tested, and it's unsafe for human health for one reason or another, but yet I know these chemicals are here in this country. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't want to be exposed to it, and I don't want my baby to be exposed to it. And they're linked to some pretty serious health conditions. And basically enough people have to be proven to die from something before uh, a outside. chemical will even be looked at or banned in this country. It's just really,
0: it's It's,
2: it's really bureaucratic and it's backwards. Mm -hmm. And so I lobbied for a chemical reform a couple of times and I just sort of ran into the reality of, gosh, the government's not going to protect me. And I'm looking around at all the options out there. And it was like, yeah, I can go to Whole Foods and I can buy stuff from Australia where they have, you know, higher standards and cleaner formulas and things. And I can get stuff and cherry pick stuff from Europe or Asia. But A, it's very time consuming. It's very cost prohibitive. And when you bring it all into your house, there's a replenishment. So you run out, now what? And you have to get it again and get over, it again. Yeah, yeah it's annoying and around the same time my brother was having his second kid and and we knew that she was going to have some health issues and you know they're both working my brother and his and my sister-in-law and and I was like they shouldn't have to break the bank they shouldn't have to struggle financially just to provide a safe environment for my niece that's not fair while I know I was in a Much more privileged situation. I didn't feel like only people who are at a certain tax bracket shouldn't be the only ones who have access to a healthier world or environment. So um, I had the concept of people should just trust what's in that, what you're using in, on, and around your home, yourself, your kids, isn't going to have an adverse effect on your health. Yeah. It should be safe and you shouldn't think about it. And then when you look at all of the alternative products out there, it was like, it's really good for the environment, but we can't really stand behind what's in it and how it affects human health. (laughs) And I'm like, well, that feels weird. It should be good for people and it should be safe for people. And so there was a lot, there's a lot of greenwashing out there and you see pictures of nature on a product and you see like
0: a farmer with food. It's like a a farmer on the box. It's healthy for you.
2: Exactly. And, and you know, it's, it looks more natural and you're paying a dollar to $2 more, it must be good for you. And then when you unpack it and look underneath it, you realize that it's just greenwashing and it's just a marketing
0: ploy. That happens in food all the time, you know, and you guys actually deal with this similarly where if we serve you, let's say an organic kale salad, like you can't see that it's organic. You can't see that it doesn't have, you know, all of the harmful pesticides and herbicides. And it's similar to, diapers and cleaning products, Mm -hmm. you really have to have trust in the company that you're buying from because Mm -hmm. it's not something you can see necessarily.
2: Yeah. And it does cost more money to create these products, right? Because the, the nature of just the supply chain and how it leans to the cheapest, easiest, but you know, what is the adverse effect And because they don't study it and they don't really check for it in this country, you really are gambling with your health. And I just was like, not acceptable. And when I ran into um, roadblocks and chemical reform and just the bureaucracy around government and the way it works, I was like, I just got to create the solution. And, you know, I have a background in Hollywood And I've never created a business before, but my husband had created a couple of companies and sold them. And so he was like, just do it. And he was like, surround yourself with people that have done it before and see, you know, if this is what you're really passionate about, just try it out. And so I pitched this concept and this idea and it was just too big, frankly, for a lot of people. And it... People were like, wait, what? You want to create what? <laughs> and I was like, it's like a, I mean, it's a company, but it's really about education and giving people sort of the empowering people with information so they can make better choices for themselves. And we make products. Yep. Because if you don't want to, you know, spend your time making your own products at home, um, if you just... Don't have the time to do that, and you just want to have the convenience of buying it somewhere. We can ship it directly to you, and so that and was the idea even early on. So did you start with
0: baby care? You did. We right?
2: started with seventeen products. So we started wow. with it's called personal care. So it's bath and body, okay, um, for the family, for everyone, for not. I mean, it's it's safe for a safer baby. It's safe for grandma and grandpa and everyone in between. But like pH neutral formulas and and no harsh chemicals, things like that. Yeah. And then so that was uh, five products, I think six products in that space. Um, it was like conditioner, shampoo, shampoo, body wash, conditioner, lotion, all-purpose balm because I'm allergic to any petro-based mm. ointments. And so I needed an ointment that I wouldn't get a rash from.
0: Yeah. Um, I and think the best products are usually ones that we need ourselves that then we want to put out into totally, the world, you know? Totally. Because then it really does come from that authentic that place. need. Yeah. Yeah. And so did you know?
2: And then, uh, and then we did diapers and wipes. And then we did body oil. And then we did um, cleaning products. And so you we you had launched like with s- all of that. 17 products. Wow. yeah, Because I was like, this is more about the what is going to directly affect your health? And the most vulnerable people who come into the world are these new babies who haven't built up these antibodies and things. So how can you make sure that while you're pregnant, you're not exposing your fetus? Because they say, you know, I I was doing reading some studies around just like the chemicals they find in umbilical cords and everything that you, are exposed to from the air that you breathe to the, what you put on your body to your hairspray, your dry shampoos, you're inhaling all of that. And you, that's, gonna, that's going to your baby. Yep. And uh, what you put on your skin is going to your baby. What you eat is going to your baby. So I was like, we just have to make sure that at least what's in on and around you when it comes to the basics is covered. Yeah. And you can trust is safe.
0: And did you know when you thought of this concept, pitched it, launched a 17 products, like, did you imagine yourself going into beauty? Yeah. And kind of, you did. So I you knew it f- from the beginning. Yeah.
2: I wanted to go into beauty from the jump, but I first wanted to establish it as a lifestyle brand around all the products because I knew, first of all, I was contracted with another company and I couldn't do, I, it kept me from oh, going right. into beauty initially. Uh-huh. And then the other issue in that space, and I actually would have chosen to do this anyway, is um, once I knew once I went into beauty, it was going to be really hard for me to pivot and expand into these other products and these other spaces. And so I needed to, I felt like I needed to, and I did market research and and, you know, just gathered data on my audience and what I was known for. And I knew I needed to win people over in the space of home. And so going into home products and knowing that that was really going to affect home products and uh, bath and body um, was really going to be that direct contact you're going to have with certain chemicals and that you could avoid And so I wanted to go into that space first um, that could affect a baby while you're pregnant or a baby coming into this world. Or frankly, now you look around and like, nobody wants to be exposed to these things. And Gen Z, they're like the most woke generation. They're like, no, thank you. I'd rather you not use that chemical uh, around me or on my skin. And they will you know, yeah, sure. It costs a dollar more. I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> because it's worth the investment. <laughs> it's, it's worth the investment in my health. Yeah, yeah, And so they, they're aware and educated on this stuff. And then millennials are as well. Um, it just took them a minute to get there. And it's usually someone had to get sick or it's a moment of awakening that happens with millennials when they start changing their habits and start thinking about their health in a preventative way.
0: And how do you think? I, I loved when you said like your idea was too big because Whitney and I come across that too. Where um, when we've been out pitching before, or you know, even when we're not pitching and just having conversations, people have a really hard time not pigeonholing us into one thing, which is meal delivery. And, and we don't consider ourselves meal delivery. We're a health company that offers you the tools to feel like your best self, and food is the foundation. So food is one of those tools. Mm-hmm. And they just have this need to like constantly kind of pigeonhole us into yeah. the thing they think you are. And mm-hmm. so how did you, how did you keep kind of the big vision in the midst of what I imagine is so many voices telling you, you should just like do diapers cause that's what you're known for. You should just do X cause that's what you're known for. Mm-hmm. And you've expanded, you know, into so many different categories and so many different products. Like how did you keep that big vision? Well,
2: You know, I think when you look at just, like, the data on our subscribers when we launched, people were buying across all of the categories, right? And so it wouldn't make sense just to pigeonhole to then reduce yourself just to one thing. And then when you look at the margin structure of those things as well, from an investment standpoint, you want to get behind the product categories that have the best margin and the best outcome, for you financially as an investor. And then I think the way they look at categories and with direct to consumer, they want a predictive model. That's why a lot of the subscription model is kind of the only way. Yep. And so, you know, I think you just have to understand that they're only analyzing you that way because that's kind of the only way they're even
0: being Analyze themselves. Yeah, yeah. And their
2: performance with their portfolio.
0: Yeah. I think people forget that investors are a business also. Like unless yeah, you're getting like family business. money, yeah. if you're getting from a VC, you know, that's, or that's institutional a institutional money or, like, yeah. or a bank. Exactly. So they're
2: only, they can only fit you into the buckets that they know uh, and the slots that they know. And even when like companies go public, right, they have categories that they put you in. Um, and if you don't fit in that category, then you have to create your own, (laughs) you know? And so, and it's like, will the market go for it or not? And it's, so that's also, you know, good luck with that one. And so you just have to, most people just have to fit inside of a box that exists. Yep. And when you are saying I'm a health and wellness company and I can be, a spa. I can be a bath salt. I can be a meal delivery. I can be all those things things because this is more about the approach we take to health and wellness. Um, I can be a podcast and a media company. And so it's, it doesn't fit inside of this box and it's hard for people to take it in and understand it and analyze it and, and create predictive models to put other people's money behind it as well. So I think you just have to kind of understand the business of investing and kind of where you sit inside of that. And then, try not to get too caught up. And, you know, sometimes I had to speak their language and say, yeah, I'm this and I'm that because I really needed that check more than anything else. (laughs) To argue (laughs) your point. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, uh, (laughs) this just gives me a longer runway to, you know, bring this mission to life. At the end of the day, are more people better off than they were yesterday? Yes. Cool. So you just kind of go with it. And not
0: take it personally. No, you can't. Because when it's your baby, you it's, so, it's so hard. I'm like, what do you mean you don't see the vision? Um, yeah, but we also like,
2: I, I'm not going to say this is a male-female thing, but I find that when I'm in rooms with women, the the conversation is usually very different than when you're in a room with a bunch of men. And also it's not every woman, it's women who understand the consumer space. And who are their own client. And who are their
1: own customer their
0: client. You're right. You raised over 500 million, right? You raised a lot of money, I read. That's a lot of cash. And were you super involved in all the fundraising conversations? Yeah, I imagine you. I imagine you are. And
2: do you know how many you, financial decks
0: I've I mean, I <laughs> only gone imagine. through over the years and different business models? And oh, lord! Did you did you ever feel like being a young, beautiful woman got in the way? And then on the other side, did you ever feel like it helped also? Hmm.
2: I feel like people, for the most part, maybe it broke up the monotony of the day because they 100% don't see people like me mm-hmm. across the table ever. Um, I,
0: Especially I, 10 I mean, years I, ago.
2: Yeah, and I 100% have gone to meetings where they don't know where the women's restroom is. <laughs> oh like God, really? That's so crazy. Wow. Okay, cool. Yeah. And they, you know, or the women are only at entry level positions. Yep. And aren't really interfacing uh in those rooms at that level with the leaders in, in, in those rooms. So yeah, I think it just it it felt like most of the time it was just like a nice Break in, in the monotony, like I said, of what they normally sit across, but then, yeah, you definitely have people who are judgmental and have certain preconceived ideas about who you are based off of your history and what you've done and who they
0: think you are.
2: yeah, and yeah. their own baggage and their own hangups on and their own limited way of thinking about you,
0: yeah. Because
2: they just have they they're just not used to it,
0: yeah, and I think there are stereotypes that get in the way of of typically believing that you know a young woman can build a billion dollar company you know oh, i yeah. I remember you know when Whitney and I were out raising our first round. You know we we'd started the company with seven hundred dollars and built it to many millions in revenue. And then, when we went out to raise, we thought it would be easy because we had proven the concept. We had turned you know very little money into a lot of money. yet some of the questions we were getting was, okay, you know, we want to invest, but who's going to manage the money? And I knew that if it were two men sitting at the table instead of two women, that that would not be a question in the way that it was, but it was, you know, they didn't necessarily, as you're saying, you know, they, they hadn't seen the mod, our model before they hadn't seen like two young women doing what we were doing. And so it was really hard to switch their brain. Mm-hmm. And so do you feel like, well, I guess, how did you overcome those stereotypes? What I hear as a, as a theme that you're talking about, which I'm really loving is I feel like you're really good at looking at a situation Calling it out for what it is. Reading
2: the room. Reading
0: the room. And mm-hmm. then not making it about you. Like no. you can think that about me, but that's not my story. So either you're in and you're out and let's go.
2: Yeah. Whitney and and I was not like they that. Get it. <laughs> I
0: took it so personally. Yeah,
2: they get it pretty quickly because I do know I do know my business inside it out. And I also know the numbers. And so I can go head to head with them. Right. And so they're usually were unfounded. Yeah, usually within the first five to ten minutes after I give them the whole founder story and why I started it and why this is important and blah 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 blah. You know, the most common thing is like, oh, I mean, you really are smart. Oh. <laughs> so <laughs> oh. I'm like, yeah. And then and then it's well, did you go to school for this? No how did you learn this? I learned it by doing it. Hmm. <laughs> you know, and that's yeah. just kind of it. And then what else are you going to say?
0: Yeah. Now can we get back to the discussion?
2: F- let's yeah. get back
0: to that check <laughs> and how much you're writing. And,
2: and and I don't, you know, I always, sure, being an actress and whatnot, does that help you or hurt you? And, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs who are starting, um, feels frustrated by even getting into those rooms. And I have to say, like, it allowed me to get in a room with someone who wanted to take a selfie with me. Right. And that is Access
0: an, to the wrong kinds.
2: But that is a room that, um, maybe given the opportunity, you can turn around. And that's what I did every time. But it really just opened the doors so that people can take a selfie with me <laughs> and show their yeah. wife or their husband or their brother or their friend or whoever. Yeah. It was never they never really seriously thought that
0: it was going to be it thing. was going to be
2: legit. And so when i realized that pretty quickly, then i partnered up with people in the space that i wanted to get into that i knew they would respect from a business perspective. And it just cut through a lot of the bullshit and it allowed me to leapfrog instead of getting into, I'm a woman that's never done this before. The financial model is here. Da, 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 da. Like it's a great investment. I just partnered with people where they wouldn't even think twice. Yeah. And it was just easy. And it just, it got my, it, it got what I wanted to get done quicker And it allowed them to just get right into it. And we just got to get right into it. And so, um, again, I had to put my ego aside. I read the room. I understood sort of the space. And then I just, you know, really uh, put together a team of people to help me launch the company that would get me the most bang for the buck.
0: And when I went and saw you at your offices, you had just given birth and you had your baby at the office. How do you think about, especially since you started Honest Company while you were pregnant, how do you think about creating a workplace that is conducive to working mothers? You Um, know, because I
2: never, I mean, I knew in Hollywood, they told me, uh, once you become a mom, like you're not hot anymore. You're not desirable. Nobody. They said that. Oh Yeah. um,
0: I feel like it's the opposite right now. I feel like it's, like, so cool to be a mom right now. Do you agree, or is it just because I became a mom and I'm telling you? (laughs) I
2: don't know if the men in charge in Hollywood feel that way. Interesting. Um, I do have to say, though, when Gal Gadot was Wonder Woman and she was five and a half months pregnant while she was shooting, it just, like, all those freaking naysayers and haters in Hollywood, I was just, like, giggling. I was so
0: happy. I was like— What's sexier than a mother? There's
2: nothing sexier. Yeah. And she was on her second kid, too. I was like, yes, yeah, ma'am. mama. Yes, ma'am. And you can still be hot and sexy and desirable and kick ass and smart and
0: all the things. If not even more so.
2: A hundred percent more yeah. so because you are more grounded— Right. You're yes. more it brings not I wouldn't say more grounded, but it definitely brings another layer to you when you have when you when your heart's outside of your body yeah. running around in the world. Totally. <laughs> it's just it just does something yeah. to you. Yep. And so yeah, I was definitely told that I was done at twenty seven. Um God. and I was like, whatever. <laughs> And I created a company and was like, I'm busy anyway, guys. And so then, yeah, I sort of went through like a midlife crisis, I feel like, when I had my kid. Mm. and You had your first at 27, you said? I got pregnant at 27. I had her at 28. And then I think, yeah? Or did I have her at 27? I did have her at 27 because I had Haven at 30. Yeah, I got pregnant at 26 and had her at 27. But then, when I did have this concept of the company, and then when we did find, when I did finally, this was like three years of of come, you know, having this idea, writing down on paper, putting together like boards, uh, visual boards, and folders and booklets and decks and all this stuff. So like three and a half years until I finally launched the company. And by then I had, I actually went and did fundraising when I was seven and a half months pregnant with Haven. Wow. My second. And I remember it wasn't, you know, when I had her, I didn't know cause I wasn't in corporate America. So I didn't know that like women are expected to want to stop working Uh, when they have kids and in corporate America or that they don't feel supported when they do choose to be a mom or I didn't know any of this. I was just bringing my baby to work. I wasn't thinking twice about it. I had her, she had like one of those portable chairs connected to my desk. (laughs) And then I had a little corner right behind my desk with like a little play mat and she'd like be there and she'd be at my desk and I just worked still and, just had her there. I think the integration is key. And and it just, I just didn't even think twice. And then I was like, oh, you know, when I'm pumping, like I need a place to do that or to feed her. So I was like, we need to do a room. I'm not going to do it in the bathroom. Disgusting. And then what I realized as I got further into business is the conversation kept shifting to, oh my God, you bring your baby to work or, oh my God, you have a space where people can like nurse or pump if they are new moms? And I was like, yeah, (laughs) duh. Like, I was
0: like, why wouldn't we? (laughs) And they were like, yeah,
2: that doesn't happen.
0: Not only does that not happen, but then oftentimes women who take maternity leave don't get to come back to kind of the same trajectory that they might have been on. So it impacts the trajectory of their career as well. And I, yeah, I mean, there's so many
2: things that I learned in the business. And I remember as we were putting, because at that time we were just a scrappy, small, small team. And I remember asking my business, one of my business partners, and I was like, okay, so we are, there's all dudes in me. And um, we just need to hire more women in, you know, these leadership roles, like in these executive positions. And he was like, if they don't exist... And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, because women when they when they have kids, they just stop working. They just don't exist. And I was like, I can't believe that is true. Yeah. And so he just told me that and because I'd never been in business before, I just took his word for it. And I knew in my heart that it wasn't right and that it wasn't true, but I didn't know any Else. And then anybody that I ever met in business out in the world, it was like us women are few and far between. And it was like at a business conference, you know, I'm at the Goldman Business Conference or Forbes puts on something. Like, unless it's a women-specific event, but when it's just a general business, it's all men. It's all men. Yeah. And every investor conference, it's all men. And so I was like, maybe he's right. <laughs> this is, I just, I couldn't, I guess I just sort of was like, wow, this is messed up. And then I'm like, wonder why the world is so slow <laughs> and lying like
0: backwards. Yeah, especially because and men are at the head of because you all these just, companies that are for women, which is so yeah, crazy. And
2: then also when you're like, you're just more productive if you have more diverse thought. And if you have people with different experiences coming to the table and thinking through challenges, right? But if they're all kind of coming from the same foundation and experience, like, where do you go from there? Everyone's just going to be, I don't know, it's, uh, it's hard to make progress, let's say, as quickly. And I'm all about efficiency. <laughs> um, and I have to say my best employees are parents, because they are not trying to waste time
0: with so them. true, you become so much more efficient. Yeah, time is 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 like so precious, it's so precious. Because
2: it goes, you know, your baby. It, there's nothing more daunting than like having a baby. I think first, but then second, after the sleep deprivation, and you sort of accept that you'll just never sleep the same. Great, okay, we got past that one. Third <laughs> thing is your time, like father time, whatever that is, just feels really real. You're like, wow, you went from like not being able to do anything, just laying there a little blob to you're walking and talking and running and jumping off of things and trying to injure yourself left and right, (laughs) you know, and And having opinions and telling me no. (laughs) And then now I'm dealing with, Puberty and it's like embraces and and drama and inappropriate and appropriate
0: screen time and programs. I mean, it's like, what? And every day is so different. I think that's why, you know, last time I saw you was maybe 18 months ago and you look the exact same, but yet- I was pregnant and now I have a walking child. It's like every day they're so different which I think right. reminds me of the time that's going by too. Yeah, and their little things when are, their
2: personalities come out at yeah. different stages. So yeah. I feel like parents when we have them at the company they're just man they they really it feels like they know how to how to multitask in a different way and then also squeeze in as much quality in in the time that they have. Um, and so I'm into having parents and I, and I, and I love it and I welcome parents and we have a very, um, a really fair, um, maternity paternity leave. And we really work with our employees based off of how they're feeling and, and, you know, it's not a black and white, Program or the way that we go about it, which I think is also—it's
0: really important know, to have the flexibility. Yeah, in the and, right and place. I think
2: I think everyone your every experience is different. You know, like some people have a really difficult postpartum time. Some people we've had some men whose uh, babies have had some health issues, and so where the mom takes the time and is a hundred percent with the baby, and then the dad needs that time and as well. And you just can't judge how any experience is going to go. And Absolutely. so I think we need to be as supportive as possible to human beings. And you're only as good at your company as the people you surround yourself with. So true. But that and is, yeah, that's, I don't know how you feel about hiring and oh man, and that, but that it's is, the, it's
0: one of the hardest parts of it, my it job. Is HR hardest. is the hardest. And it's, I, it's the hardest for me too. You know, when you start a company, you think, Okay, starting the company might be tough, or maybe raising money will be tough, or maybe getting clients will be tough, or creating the best product. Maybe that'll be hard. I never on my list was like managing people in HR is going to be the thing that's hard, but it's one, the most time consuming, and two, absolutely the the hardest thing. Is it the same for you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hands down. Yeah. I'm sure you get this question all the time about you know being an entrepreneur and if somebody wants to start a business and i'm honestly so sick of that question because i don't think that the best thing in the world is to start your own company i feel like it's idolized right now and it's like entrepreneurs are the new celebrity and like it is just as incredible to work for a company and give your heart and soul to that company and align with that company's mission and help that company, you know, become what it can be. Mm -hmm. It's just as impactful as the person who started it. Like Sakara would not be here if it weren't for the people on our team that are helping us do the everyday work yet. Whitney and I are the ones that are, you know, out and about talking. And so that entrepreneur angle is so kind of idolized. And, but I, I, I always say, if you can find, a company that you believe in, go work for that company and be an entrepreneur within that company Mm, um, instead of always trying to think of, like, what can I start? What can I, like, what product can I I make? I can't even
2: tell you how many people have worked at Honest and tried to go start their own company (laughs) and thought it was going to be so easy. I know. And, you know, they thought they have, because they have the degree and they have the this and the that. And yeah, they don't really understand the grit and the no, like literally there is, you're never not working. Yep. The, it's so time consuming, just like what goes into it and is the outcome really worth it? And I agree with you. I think you shouldn't start a company because you want to be on a pedestal I think if you have to start a company because you literally can't live another day without this thing existing, then that's a different
0: situation. That is so true. And I talk about that too. People say, well, you know, I want to start my own company, but I I don't really know what my passion is yet. And I'm like, look, (laughs) then don't. Then don't. Then don't. And you know what? I also tell people like stop looking for your passion because that's like something you just love doing Yeah, like, food and mm-hmm. food is medicine and sakara. That is not my passion. It's my mission. I hit rock bottom. This saved my life. And so now it's my mission to help other people transform. It keeps me up at night. It, Leaves me inspired to go to work every single day. Me too. It's not a passion. It's <laughs> no. like it's so much more. And if and if that hasn't hit you up on the head and, and you don't know what your mission is, that's okay. Mm-hmm. It might also mean What you are don't you passionate about? Passionate about?
2: What am I passionate about? I feel um, are you passionate about fashion? Because you're always serving fashion.
0: Oh, well, thank you. I mean, I guess so. Passionate about things like animal rights and sustainability and you know I grew up on horses like I feel like passion is kind of like hobby what you like to do and like, I agree consume but it doesn't it's you know. so
2: true people do mix passion versus mission and I even say the same thing you know a lot of people idealize getting into Hollywood or entertainment and they think of like the end like the 0.001% that A, actually make it and can make it and do it for a living versus the amount that try, right? It's like very few actually make it. And then they look at the red carpet and the glamour and the this and the that, and they have no idea what the day-to-day is what goes into it. And it's like, it's so, you just shouldn't do it if you're doing it for that.
0: Because it's never it is, as glamorous
2: as people think. It's just not. <laughs> yeah. It's just not. It's just not. Yeah. And, and if
0: you don't have that mission, then you give up. You, you have, have to give to up. You
2: have to have, yeah, you have to have a purpose. Yeah. And literally, if you are not going to be okay on this planet not doing it, then you have to do it. Yeah. But if it's anything less than that, don't do it. Yeah. Don't get into
0: entertainment. I feel like, or don't get into To like anything, like just find something, like find a career that you feel like you can where you can make an impact.
2: And where you can thrive. Yeah. And where you feel it's like what do we what do we want for our kids? And I I That's kind of yeah, I kind of forget about myself in that. And I think it's just as important for myself as well to remember because that's kind of what life is all about. So I at the end of the day I want my kids to be happy. And I want them to be fulfilled and feel like they are adding value Mm. in whatever it is um, and that they are valued, right? Um, In whatever it is they're doing. Um, And so if they go to work or don't go to work or choose to, whatever it is they want to choose to do, but whatever it is they choose to do, I just want them to feel like fulfilled and like people around them, appreciate them.
0: Yeah. And I I heard you speaking to this earlier, this idea of, you know, facing a lot of adversity as a child. And, you know, my my mom and I, it was just my mom and I growing up, we grew up on food stamps. And, you know, I really learned the lesson that food is medicine the hard way. And I don't want my daughter to have to learn things the hard way. And so no, I yeah, guess my question is, hard. how do you balance... Your, a lot of your success, a lot of your growth as an individual came from coming Hardships out of yeah adversity and challenges. hardship and and thank God like right now our children you know aren't in that place that we were in as kids but yet I still think that experience is important on some level so like how do you provide like a humbling environment to know that you know people experience all different types of childhoods and. I don't want her to have to face the adversity, but I want her to come out understanding whatever I learned from growing up on food stamps. Like, I learned that you have to work really hard. I, you know, I had three jobs in high school. I don't take anything for granted, especially around financials. Like, I I have a lot of gratitude and I understand how much work has to go into something but if my daughter grows up, you know, we live in New York City, going to private school and being surrounded by billionaires, like how do you, how do you instill that in, when we're, we're not raising them in a similar environment? I
2: think if you just look up at like the human experience, the thing that my kids, and I've, I've wrestled with this as, as well, because I obviously, I don't know if you know, but I, I came from absolutely no privilege, right? Right. Um, at all. We lived with my grandparents. um, My dad was in the military before then, and my parents worked several jobs, and we lived paycheck to paycheck, and until I was working regularly and participating and, and that for my family, you know, we just had like a different financial experience. And, you know, I think that my kids are given the freedom to not have to be in survival mode mm. because when you're in survival mode it's hard for you to look up and have perspective and context and it's hard to i don't know if you're wor- worried about the lights being on whether you can provide food on the table clothing on 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 your back you know just those basic th- needs, if they aren't being met, um, it- it's hard to, I think, be happy.
1: It's such um, a unless point.
2: you grow up in an environment where everyone else is sort of in the same situation, but, you know, here the have and the have nots are really apparent. And I think it's like, I'm so happy that my kids get to go to school, right? And I'm so happy that I'm going to be able to provide, whether they want to go to college or not, I'm going (laughs) to force them to. Because it's just such a beautiful time in your life where you get to to ease into adulthood. Mm. Where I didn't get to ease into adulthood. It was slammed in my face and forced on me if I wanted to live the life with the freedom of not having to live paycheck to paycheck and in that survival mode, right? Yeah. And and I think that, thank God, right, that I get to give that to my kids. But at the same time, you know, you want them to be appreciative. You want them to work hard. You want them to have like, you want them to have like a good character, to have grit, have values. And you have to be respectful of, and I tell my kids of the planet, the people, animals, and treat everything the way that you want to be treated.
0: I love what you said, though, this idea of if you're not fighting for survival and your basic needs, and you're still instilled with this, I this uh, you know, humanness and, and with an emphasis on respect and honor, maybe children or our children that are like of this generation that um, I think are growing up in a very different environment in general with different parenting techniques than maybe our parents had, maybe they take on bigger things than we ever could because they do have that space and they're not fighting for survival.
2: Yeah, I mean, you can see it even in the way that Gen Z, I do a lot of research um, on that generation and you know they are they're big advocates for social justice across the board. They want to get out in front of it. They are a fearless generation in standing up for what they believe is right, from you know, not wanting to be put in a box of um, what is expected of them when it comes to a gender identification to, if we know we're poisoning our planet and in the next 10 years, if we continue to do this, we're never, we're going to have irreversible damage. So let's stop doing that. Yeah. And let's put things in place that will preserve life
0: and take action
2: and take action. Like yeah. they're real, you know, when it comes to gun violence in this country and how rampant it is they could care less about special interests and government or any of that. They're right. like, it just doesn't make sense. It right. just doesn't make sense that I am afraid to go to school because there's such loose laws around
1: who can,
2: can, own have, can own a gun, have a gun, and have access to this. Like, that doesn't make sense. They're just, like, really practical. Or I feel like in the studies that we've done on millennials, millennials are more... Um, they're not as grounded as Gen Z and they're more like the dreamers. uh, They're, they're more entitled.
0: Yep. I wanted to pivot just a little bit because I also remember one thing that really stuck out to me during our last chat was you were a few weeks postpartum and you were getting ready for a role and you were talking about what it means to not only have the pressures that all of us have of, you know, at any time, much less postpartum, to kind of get back to feeling like ourselves. And then you had the added pressure of getting ready for a role. Yeah. How do you... I can't imagine having added pressure. <laughs> There's, like, <laughs> plenty of pressure just kind of existing in the world. How do you cope with that kind of stress or pressure? Or do you even consider it pressure? Does it stress you out to have to kind of... Um, it used to. You know, when
2: when... People's perception of me as an actress was the only way that I when my identity was so tied to it and wrapped up in it, I felt a tremendous amount of pressure to live up to this really unrealistic airbrushed standard, uh, frankly, because you know when it comes to the words that people, Tell me to say, you know, and then what they put on me and then when they go and do post and they beautify you (laughs) and uh, and then how photos are manipulated. And then even when you go on a talk show, you're just there for a minute and a half and you're put in the most tailored clothes that you would never sit in or do anything in because it needs to be perfect for camera, which is different than real life. In life, yeah. And you have two and a half hours of people who are professionals turning you into, it's like basically people's wedding day is usually the day like where everyday. they are the most, you know, um, doted over. And they, they're like, oh my gosh, um, that's every day for an actress. And then when you don't look like your wedding day, uh then people are sort of disappointed, you know, and yeah. mind you, it takes people, you know, months to prepare for that wedding day. And now imagine this is for me since I was 12. And that's the expectation that people have in my whole financial situation, my identity, my character, everything was tied up in that. And that's not and it has nothing to do with even the way that people expect you to be even not in front of the camera while it's rolling, just like interacting with you on a day-to-day and all of it. It's it, all it, these preconceived... A lot of preconceived yeah. ideas and notions and who they want you to be, right? Yeah. And so I felt it a lot. And then when I started this company and I really got to have real human connections that lasted longer than three months of filming or six months of filming on location somewhere. Just the accountability of showing up every day surrounded by the same people and you all are driving towards a goal together collectively. I don't know. You learn a lot about what really matters, what's important and it gave me a different perspective on hollywood and entertainment and i feel so i i feel so bad for people who who aren't able to disconnect from it the way that i have been able to because i only found i think true fulfillment and happiness when i can put it in perspective and have context for it. And I just didn't have context for it before.
0: Right. I Not when that like making it of the utmost importance.
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, some people do have that perspective naturally and they don't, they aren't completely wrapped up in, in it, but I think most people are Yeah, and you just can't help it. Right. Yeah, And this business feeds into that mentality as well.
0: Do you feel so. like that kind of that confidence you have now, like, is your relationship to your body, to your food, to body image, is it the same now as it's always been? Like, have you always, it's, it's been something that like you've had to work on? Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean, I worked out, I basically have been hungry since I was 12 (laughs) and I beat my body up. Yeah. Um, and then you just sort of get used to it. But now, yeah, I guess I, I guess I, I sort of just was like being physically miserable is just part of the gig. And now I'm
0: like, I don't want to be miserable. Like, Like where did I decide that was okay? Because I think so many, you know, I can kind of isolate you as an actress, as an icon that like, of course you feel that way. But then I think about myself and I think about all of our clients, so many of whom feel that way that as a woman, you have to look like this. And then in order to look like this, you have to, you know, as you said, beat your body up. So like not nourish, not, you know, work over workout. Um, Oh my God. I used to work out so much. And now,
2: by the way, I want to, I'm not going to lie. Like I really want to work out. I
0: I really, (laughs) really want to. (laughs) I worked out today for like the first day in months.
2: Oh, It was so nice. Uh, and it feels so good when you do and I just don't do it enough and I'm going to get back into it. I also just, I love, I'm I'm a little bit aggressive. So I like, I like boxing Mm -hmm. and I like getting that. I have this like baggage of stuff inside of me that I can't get out kind of any other way. And it's just like a good, hard cardio sweat
0: gets it out. Is it
2: kind of the only thing that gets it out? That's
0: like such a healthy relationship to working out because that's for your mental and physical health. It's not for, you know,
1: um, fitting into a size, blah, blah, blah. Exactly.
0: And that's where I always try and help people get to with food where I think a lot of our clients come to us looking to lose weight, but we don't talk about weight loss at Sakara because Weight loss is a side effect of you taking care of yourself and nourishing yourself and eating the right things. I think if it's obviously sometimes for you, I remember you were like working on a specific role, and so maybe that had to be an outcome. But for the rest of us, it's it's a it's a product of us feeling like our most empowered and nourished selves. And it's for our physical, mental, spiritual, emotional health, not so that you can get into the bikini you know, right. on the weekend. And by the way, when right. you have the emotional, spiritual, mental health, you slip into that bikini much more differently than if you don't have that. Like it's yeah, with a, a little Yeah, and actually confidence. no matter what size you are. Exactly. Yeah. And that's like the sexiest thing anyway.
2: I felt different in my body when I did the pilot for this TV show and, it, and, it, and I didn't feel connected to myself. And so it took me about a year for honor to get to feel connected to my body again. For Haven, it took almost a year. And for Hazy, I would say maybe like six to six, seven months until I really felt like back in my body. Like, you know, the clothes that I was used to wearing, they fit again and it wasn't like breaking my buttons and <laughs> yeah. like feeling like I was, you know, suffocating.
0: Yeah. But I love that it was a path back to your body instead of, you know, a path back to just a gene size. It's like, it's a, it's a path back to no, feeling it, like yourself. I'm, I'm not the
2: same size as I was. Mm. But I just, I guess I also wear like sort of baggier clothes. <laughs> that I <used> to. <laughs> but I just wanted to feel more connected back to myself. Yeah. And that that is the, it, it's definitely more about the mental and less about the physical because I dropped that I, I should look like I did before I had kids, like that's just never going to happen.
0: Yeah. And, and I'm
2: good with that because I'm so much happier now than I was.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And no matter what, kids and life change you. And I think that part of, or at least most of the suffering is involved in trying to pretend like life doesn't change you. But yeah. Life does. And it does. And the more and we accept that. Yeah, and at peace we are with that. And then, by the way, the more accepting we are of that in others. You know, you were speaking to this idea of people expecting you to look a certain way um, because you are this celebrity. It's like we, on the other side of that, that aren't celebrities and are holding those expectations also have to let go of those expectations for others that we might exactly. look to. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And,
2: and And people just can't help it, right? And it's easy to look at people who are on this perceived pedestal. Yeah. And they, you're like, oh, they have the perfect life and nothing dead and da-da-da-da. It's never true. Oh my God, it's never true. Yeah. And I've never met more tortured people than people in entertainment. <laughs> they have so many, you know, things they're wrestling with and the negative is usually way outshining the positive internally in their spirit yeah. and in their mind and mental health. I mean, creative. People and then to be a creative person with all that sort of like inner kind of torment, then you are put on this in the spotlight and living in a fishbowl. That's why a lot of people implode, right? You know, it's just too much, no matter what level of success or stardom they're at.
0: Well, to bring it full circle, my first question was your mission, and I feel like you know, this idea of what does it mean to live in honesty is such a beautiful mission. And I picked that up from you the moment I met you. And obviously you're still like that. And I'm just so grateful that you have these honest conversations because so many women, mothers look up to you and it's just so important that people in the spotlight have these honest conversations. So thank you. Thank you. Wow, (laughs) that was
1: so sweet.
0: Well, and light work was the last thing. Uh-huh. Sorry, my brain is—you know—we were we've been sleep training, and so I've been getting like four hours every single night. And then so last tell I me, was, talk to me about how you're sleep training. Well, so we co-sleep. Oh, um, I, I how know. do you have sex? Oh, well, actually, it's really forced us to get creative because okay. the bed is, is no longer like it. the place, and that was kind of like obviously go to. Yeah, and so. I would say for now, it's doing great things for our sex life. Okay. I don't know. I have no attachment to like, she. I don't need to co-sleep with her forever. And always just right now for us, this feels like what she needs and what works for us. But now you're realizing it might be what you need. Yeah. Well, no, yes. And part of the balance of motherhood, right, is trying to separate the voices of what, how you feel like you're tuning into your child versus how you're tuning into like your inner child mm-hmm. and what you That's hard. What need. Yeah, it is That hard. takes some spiritual um, work. It does. And so, you know, I, I had, but this is, was a really big, beautiful lesson for me. Cause I had, so, I read a bunch of books about like, you know, sleep training and what to do, what not to do, blah, 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 blah. And then I was like, you know, I'm just going to listen and do what feels right. And everybody told me let dad do it, get out of the bed, sleep on the, blah, blah, blah. So what we did is I just stopped feeding her at night. Cause I co-sleeping, it's really easy to just like hand over the boob whenever yeah. they want. And so she would be waking up like every hour just to like pacify. Uh, And I like, and I got in that mode. Oh my God. It was awful. And I didn't even realize it was awful until one day I was like, I haven't slept in like 20 months. And so I just would let her, I started about a week ago and I just let her cry and I let her cry. She was in between us. I coaxed her. I, I held her. I told her it was okay. I sang to her like I was right there, but I let her cry and it took two nights. And now she's sleeping through the night and I'm like, wait, I was the one in the way, (laughs) you know, like she probably could have done this 10 months ago. So, you know, now I'm obviously traveling here in LA and for a few nights. So when I go back to New York, she'll have those extra nights without me. And so I feel like it'll really be just like nailed in, but it's just, it was just this really important lesson. One that I needed to not listen to what everyone was telling me to do on how to do it. I really listened to what I want to do. I was in the bed with her. I didn't leave. <laughs> so what, it was a big lesson in listening to my kind of intuition. And then too, as you noted, it was a big lesson in making sure that I'm not just relying on what's easy because giving her the boob all night kind of was what was easiest. Cause I didn't have to like just let her cry or stay up and let her cry. It would just soothe her back to sleep. And so just being really, I guess. But it's not
2: easiest because you. Well, it felt like
0: it in the moment though. Because you're it was, sleep But deprived. it was a crutch. Yeah, it was a total crutch. And so I guess like being able to have an eagle's eye perspective sometimes and mm-hmm. even when you're kind of in the trenches, <laughs> it's really hard. Yeah. It's really, I can't imagine having three and how like, how do you sleep? How do you balance it all?
2: I I have this weird witchy thing with my kids where I get up like about 30 seconds before they do. Wow. No matter what their issue is, if they're hungry, if they had a nightmare, if they had to go to the restroom, I just pop up and I listen every time. Every time one of them's up. Yeah, especially the first like three years Mm. and that sweet spot. Um, Do you feel
0: well rested?
2: You look well rested. No, no, <laughs> I haven't slept in eleven years. Oh my god! No, I always sleep with like one eye open. Yeah, I don't. I miss, you know, I really like kind of missed sleeping, and then now I've just sort of accepted, and especially with the business, it's. Yeah. I have so much. I just wake up in my mind. It's just hard to turn s- it all to off. Turn it off, and yeah. sometimes I get in a cold, dark room and my kids actually sleep in past seven and cash and I go to bed at a reasonable hour at like 10 10 30 and we get to like sleep and that's happened maybe less than a handful of times <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. in and 11 years oh, yeah wow. I mean honor used to sleep in pretty late and then she would like sleep in wake up and then go back to sleep because.
0: I right. Know, they must we all be
2: on parents. different all, like schedules. Yeah, on, and now Honor. One's her, up. They're all up. Honor sleeps so well. Haven was always the one that kind of like was up and wanted to. Hang out. Hang out. And then um, Hayes is kind of between the two, but. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's just, I just don't sleep well.
0: I like what you said. Like I'm similar. I just kind of came to this point where you just have to accept that you're not going to like stop fighting it yeah. and pretending like you're going to get sleep. You're just mm. not, this is a chapter in life. That's just not a sleepful chapter. And you just chapter. may
2: never, like, I don't know if I'll ever be able to have like a good, deep, selfish sleep again. Yeah, I know. Because I'll always think of my kids and where they are, no
0: matter what age. Yeah. I don't think that goes away. I know. I was joking. You know, last night was my first night leaving her, not ever, but it was the first night of this trip. And I was like, okay, I'm going to sleep. Of course I couldn't sleep. I'm like, (laughs) I need sleep training now. (laughs) I need somebody to (laughs) sleep train me. Just let me cry it out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's do light work. So do you have anything that you can give our listeners that's something to kind of help them, you know, shine their light, push past their comfort zone. What's some light work that that you can give them? This
2: probably doesn't sound very spiritual. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> but I have to say, I recently got on TikTok. Oh. And I've had to learn some of, I mean, just learning some of these dances. And I've gone through like broken through the emotional and then came out the other side, not emotional, meaning like frustrated, like, Oh, why can't I get it? And it's so fast. And, but I have to say like, it's fun. I giggle. And then when my friends and I, I, I make them do it as well and we just giggle and there's something about dancing and doing these Ridiculous dances and I it just love, makes you
0: laugh and. But I feel like I lo- what I hear you saying is try and overcome something that you might be like like I hear that and I'm like oh my god I don't, I don't even have the time to figure out TikTok but like take the time l- do the learning curve yeah and get it's over just the hump fun. and then it's fun it's just and it fun. doesn't have to be like the scary thing on your list of to dos it also your account can be private and
2: you can just. Make it private, and no one has to ever see it, but you. But it's just fun, mm. and and I mean, we should do a TikTok after this. Okay, let's do and it. I'll have you do a dance with me. <laughs> okay, and you're gonna laugh. <laughs> it's gonna be funny.
0: Okay, so take on something that maybe you've been nervous to take on and dance more. Are those the things I'm hearing?
2: I would say download TikTok. Okay. Go to hashtag trending dance and learn one I of the this. dances and do it, and it's funny. And do it with a friend. Okay, and you can do it on slow speed. And if you go to duet and do it on slow speed, then you literally just copy their moves, and it's funny. Oh and my god, I love fun. that. Who cares? Who cares? And keep your that. account private. Who cares? <laughs> There's nothing to it. It just makes you giggle. Literally every time I've had a couple of drinks, I'll do it with friends.
0: And we just laugh. I love that. We
2: all need more laughter.
0: Mm, I adore you. Thank you so much for this conversation. Let's go do that TikTok dance. Okay.
2: (laughs) But really, are we? Yeah, yeah, we are.
0: I love talking to Jessica about how important it is to take care of ourselves, how important it is to understand how to take care of ourselves, what to surround ourselves with in terms of products, beauty products, cleaning products, but also how to nourish ourselves as well. This Sakara story comes from Amy from upstate New York. I'm a 39-year-old mother of two young boys. Exactly one year ago, I received a call that my recent breast biopsy was cancer. Months of tests later, and what they initially thought was an early catch, was stage 4 breast cancer and bone metastasis and follicular lymphoma. Yep, two cancers, one of them quite advanced. The news shook my family and community to the core. After four weeks of sakara, I feel so much lighter, and I have more energy than I did before, even when I'm on chemo, which is pretty amazing, my body feels better than it has in years. Most of the pain is gone, and I'm loving being able to be more active. Beyond the physical changes, this past month on Sakara has been such a beautiful time of being able to focus on what's really important. Taking care of my health and spending time with my family and having these meals really created a beautiful amount of space for that. My mind feels clearer, and I feel more balanced emotionally. I'm really just overflowing with gratitude.
1: Wow. Yeah. Thank you for reading that one. I couldn't get through it. Yeah, that was I kept tearing up. It's just so moving. Yeah, I mean, what an honor
0: it is to be in this work and to have an impact on one person versus one person going through what Amy is going through. Amy, we love you. Thank you for sharing your beautiful, beautiful Sakara story. We are so grateful we got to be or get to be a part of you feeling even better and you're constantly in our thoughts and our prayers and we're sending you all the love.
1: If you have a Saqqara story that you would like to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at saqqarastories at saqqaralife.com. That's S A K A R A S T O R I E S at saqqaralife.com or send us a DM at Life. Don't forget to hit subscribe for the Sakara Life podcast and share this episode with anyone you think needs to hear what we talked about today. And don't
0: forget about the light work. It might feel a little hard, a little uncomfortable, but it's supposed to. The whole idea is that we lean into what's uncomfortable so we all get to shine our lights a little brighter. And we'll see you on the other side, Sakara Lights.